Welcome to Larpender Life, the podcast about HP St. Paul in the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Dave Carey. I didn't want to get caught, you know, doing something that, you know, could jeopardize my job. Mr. Greg Ludisher had invited the people that went on the brewery tour to come over to his house afterwards. People were professional, but they were also ready to let their hair down and and have some fun once in a while. This is episode eight, and my guest today is Joel Larson. If you missed any of the previous episodes, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. You can also reach me at larpenderlife at gmail.com. And now here's my discussion with Joel. My guest for today is Joel Larson. Joel, thank you very much for joining me here on Larpenter Life. Well, thanks, Dave. This is a great idea you had. It's my pleasure to be here as one of your guests. I appreciate it. Well, let's start out the way I, I like to do and tell us a little bit about how you first, how and when you first got connected to HP and a little bit about getting hired. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I actually, when I got out of college, um, I saw an ad in the Minneapolis paper that HP was hiring. So I sent in a resume and I was called and, and asked to come in for an interview down in Minneapolis. I was living in Wilmer at the time, my home, my hometown. And lo and behold, while I'm doing my interview, I'm walking down the hallway and here's one of my classmates, a lady named Julie uh, Henry, who was Julie Carlson went before she got married. And, and I'm like, wow, you know, this is kind of interesting. And, and I later found out from Mike Anderson, who was the hiring manager, that Julie had put in a good word for me. So that was really nice of her, and I thanked her for it later. But it turned out Wilmer isn't a very big town, and in, after I got hired in uh, August of 83 when I started, I found out there was five other people from my hometown of Wilmer besides myself working there. Julie was one, Keith Larson was another, and his younger sister Shelly was a classmate of mine. Uh, Mark Peterson worked there. Um, he is a cousin of my wife, and his younger brother was a classmate of ours. And then uh, Michelle Langmo, whose older sister Candy Langmo, was a classmate of mine. So this small town, and we had you know a number of people working there. So I don't know if that was a, a reflection on the education system or just the character of the town, but it was kind of an interesting thing. I felt right at home. Yeah, somehow there must have been some sort of a pipeline straight from Wilmer, the town of Wilmer, into HP. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So tell me about uh, what roles you had at HP. I know you were in test and measurement, but can you tell me a little bit about it? Yep. So I started as a system engineer, and we they called us HPIB SEs at the time. And so our job was to help the sales guys with the technical aspect of a sale, and we would also uh, work with customers to automate some of their testing. So we use the old HP 9000 or the HP 85 series computers to hook up to test equipment through the HPIB bus, which we said Hewlett Packard invented the bus, and to automate some of those measurements. So I, 
I had been in the Air Force and I really liked technology. I worked in the missile silos up in North Dakota. So technology was right down my alley. And uh, HP was certainly a leader, not only in computers, but also in the test and measurement world. I mean, we customers would buy stuff just because it had the HP name on it, you know. And so I would go out and help customers with technical aspects of how to use the equipment and that type of thing. So we went through a lot of training, and and one kind of funny story was that uh, we had a signal generator that the factory guys had put in the ROM that if you held in two of the front panel buttons, keys, when you powered the function generator on, it actually played Handel's Messiah. And so I was showing some of the guys back in the Glenn Wickery room, which Glenn was one of the first T&M guys there, about how that worked. And then I won't name names, but one of them said, hey, I got an idea. He says, let's put this on the intercom. So we took one of the telephones and we unscrewed the mouthpiece and we clamped in the front of the the output of this function generator right into the uh, phone system. And then we, we turned it on. So it was playing Handel's Messiah. Then we paged. So the intercom was playing Handel's Messiah. And Jim Schnur was the facilities manager at the time. And I was good friends with Jim from playing softball and things. And, and he told me later, he says, I, he says, I don't know where in the heck that was coming from. We couldn't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you mentioned Glenn Wickery. And I remember when he retired, uh, that's when they named that room after him. I mean, a person's retirement was so unusual at the time. It speaks to how much younger we all were at the time, but it was so unusual for somebody to retire that they actually named a room, a conference room after him. Can you imagine that now? Uh, We need a a giant building, I think. Yeah, we need a huge building. So um, you mentioned test and measurement, and uh, I have to come clean and say in all these years, I, I knew that test and measurement is kind of the historical roots of HP. Uh, the beginning of HP, but I really, can you like explain it like I'm five years old, kind of what what is test and measurement? Well, so in the world of electronics, which electronics, you know, permeates everything in our lives nowadays, you have to make sure that those products work properly. And to do that, you have to test them with some type of a thing that measures what they're doing. And to make sure a product is working, you have to have a piece of measurement equipment that's better really than what the product itself can do. So HP had these uh, brilliant, you know, I I would call them 4.0 college graduate engineers, uh, you know, and scientists working for them that could figure out how to build these pieces of test equipment that were better. They had lower noise. uh, They had better accuracy. Uh, more digits of resolution to measure the devices that they were testing. And that ranged in everything from measuring voltages, currents, all the way up to measuring radar signals, uh, measuring cell phone signals, um, a lot of different things. As a matter of fact, we had a uh, a spectrum analyzer that when it first came out, or, or when they put a personality in it that could actually demodulate cell phone signals. And we were playing around with that one day in one of the demo rooms, and we were actually picking up people's conversations. Uh, and we picked up one of the HP sales reps' conversation with his wife in the parking lot. She was telling him what to stop and get bring home for supper that night. So <laughs> it, it was just uh, the technology was so good from the HP side 
And customers understood that, and they needed this equipment to make sure that their products worked properly when they got out into their field, whatever it happened to be, medical, uh, military, industrial, you know, a whole slew of different markets that they addressed. It's amazing to think about, Joel, because, um, you know, in one way, HP now and HPE and uh, some Agilent and some of the other companies are much bigger than we were back then, you know, when you and I were just sort of getting started in our, our careers. And in other ways, it's different because we were much broader back then. We had a very broad product line. And when I hear you talking about all these things that were some, you know, those were areas, product areas I never got anywhere near in my career. And there were a lot more too, medical and, and you know, many other areas of HP. What was it like working in in that environment for you, um, knowing that there's all these other product areas around as well? Yeah, well, it, it was different. And, and like you said, as I didn't really understand a lot of the other disciplines that were going on within the office. I mean, you ran into people and you, and you talked to them and had conversations, but you didn't always understand exactly what they did. And a, a prime example of that is test measurement was called O1. And the computer group was O2. And at one point in time, they decided to merge us. Uh, and so my, I was still an, uh, an RF and microwave SE at the time. And I, my manager became Bruce Gustafson. And Bruce and I, I thought we got along really well, even though we didn't understand our backgrounds from where we came from. And uh, it was time for my performance evaluation. And, and uh, Bruce came to me and, and uh, said, you know, Larson, I don't really understand what the heck you do. So why don't you write up your performance evaluation and then we'll just review it together and see if we can agree on it. (laughs) So that was the only time at HP that I wrote my own performance evaluation. And then Gus and I sat down and we went through it and we had a couple of good laughs about it. And um, I mean, I had a great relationship with him. Yeah. So it it was kind of fun. and, And I did. I had some friends that were in the components group, so I kind of got a little bit of what those guys did. And, you know, I got a little bit of what the computer side did. And I did work with computers on the 9000 series, you know. And uh, so I knew some of the sales reps there, Mark O'Brien and those guys that sold those kind of products. So I did have a little bit of uh, knowledge about what was going on on that side of the house. But, yeah, it was even though we were a little bit almost like different companies within a company, there was enough, I think, synergy between us and in, in the friendships and the fun that we had that you got a little bit of uh, knowledge about the other groups just through osmosis, if nothing else. You know, I think you've you've hit right on the, na- the nail right on the head there when you talked about the fun. And that's where uh, things like the recreation committee and all the things we would do. You already mentioned softball, but there were so many other things um, that that we did outside of, of work as a group that really allowed you to meet people who you didn't necessarily work with uh, on a daily basis. Do you remember participating in any of those um, events? I know we had um, picnics and parties and brewery tours and things like that. Yeah, and we went to a few uh, picnics and things. Uh, there were some family picnics that I went to, and I played softball for many years with the HP teams, and I played flag football. We had a flag football team at one point in time, so I did that. And then uh, I guess probably the most memorable event I was at was the the Strohs Brewery Tour that got set up. And we went, and I think that was either on a Friday or Saturday night. I don't remember, but I know it was in the weekend because I didn't have to work the next day. And so we went on the tour of the brewery 
And then afterwards, they had us up to their hospitality room where they had some pitchers of beer and they had sausages and cheese and fruit and vegetables and stuff for us to eat. And so we were there for an hour uh, in their hospitality room. Well, and then uh, Mr. Greg Ludisher had invited the people that went on the brewery tour to come over to his house afterwards, which thinking back on it might have been a mistake, but, <laughs> but I wasn't going to turn down some more partying at my age, you know, and so went over to Ludisher's house. I'd never been there before. And I come in the front door and, and he goes, you know, he's always got that big smile on his face, you know, Lars, Lars, you got to come here and see this, you know, and I said, okay. So he brings me in his kitchen and he opens up his refrigerator and he, there was nothing in the refrigerator, all the racks and everything had been taken out and it was stacked floor to ceiling with Stroh's beer cans. So instead of having a keg for his party, he stocked his refrigerator. I don't know how many cases of Stroh's beer he had in there, but only Ludisher, you know, and we just laughed. I looked at him. I just laughed at him, you know, and that's just the kind of character he was. But, you know, they definitely broke the mold with Greg. Yeah, they certainly did. What a great guy. When you think back to that office, that big office with all those cubicles and you look out, you know, you've mentioned fun and everything a few times. And that's, I hear that a lot from people. What else do you think about when you think about that office on Larpenter? Oh man, there was just, you know, the working atmosphere in there. It was just, uh, you know, it was such a fun place to be. Uh, People were professional, but they were also ready to let their hair down and, and have some fun once in a while. And actually, speaking of letting hair down, it reminds me of one quick story I can tell is uh, Mr. Mike Conley had had a perm done on his hair, which was kind of a trend for some of us guys back there. And and um, I had already scheduled to have mine done and my hair was getting a little long. So Sophie had been on my case. And when Mike got his hair perm, Sophie gave him a hard time about it, you know, and so here I come in a couple of days later with my hair permed and I just happen to come walking by Sophie and she stops and she looks at me and she goes, not you too. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then she came and gave me a big hug, you know, and she, and she said, I love it. I love it. But yeah, I mean, we had some characters there. We, we had people that were professional people that knew how to get the job done. I think everybody was kind of in a, a relaxed atmosphere. It, it wasn't extremely formal, although we did wear suits and stuff back in those days. But I remember we back in those days, people smoked at their desk, if you can imagine that. Holy cow, you know. Yeah, it was just a fun place to be, you know. And the technology and the atmosphere and the fun are the three things I think I remember the most. Joel, earlier you mentioned Bruce Gustafson. Do you have any other management stories you'd like to share with us? Yeah, as a matter of fact, now that you mentioned there, there's one thing. So um, at one point, I started getting these emails, uh, unsolicited emails. I don't know how they got my my email address at HP, but they were advertisements for all of these gentlemen's clubs across the U.S. And I'm like, uh-oh, you know, I mean, because that was like taboo to be using your company email to do, uns- you know, un- unsavory things. Let's just say that. So I went to Mike Anderson and asked what I should do. And he said, well, go talk to so-and-so. And And I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but anyway, uh, he was a very fun manager. And so I went and talked to him about it. And uh, I said, you know, what, what, what should I do about this? And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. He says, I'm glad I'll have it look into it. Maybe they can put a filter on or something to try and catch him. He goes, 
I'm really glad you brought this to my attention. And I said, well, yeah, I said, I didn't, I didn't want to get caught, you know, doing something that, you know, could jeopardize my job. He goes, oh, no, no. He says, it didn't have anything to do with that. He says, now I know where all of the good spots are. <laughs> and we just laughed about it. I mean, he was just kidding, of course, but it was that guy's character. And again, I, I won't mention names, but that's the kind of guy he was. He found a way to make light of anything that was even a serious uh, situation. Do you remember anything about any particular customers, obviously without naming names, but are there any any stories you have from customer visits or anything that stand out? Or There was a guy over at 3M and he had written his own software program on an 85 and it worked fairly well, except he would run some tests that happened to go overnight. And some mornings he would come in in the mornings and the tests would be stopped. And the error message, all it said was call HP. They had me go over there and uh, see if I could troubleshoot this thing and find out what it was. He was controlling some data acquisition equipment that he's, you know, at 3M, they're measuring liquids and all kinds of cool stuff like that. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'd never even seen the program before. So I, it was Rocky Mountain, kind of a form of Rocky Mountain basic. So I put in a bunch of uh, trap things to catch and track variables of what was happening. And, and then I would let it run overnight. And the first three nights, it didn't it didn't fail. And so the fourth night, it actually happened to catch the failure. And what he was doing was he was timestamping things. And then he was using that timestamp in part of his equations to do whatever scientific analysis he was doing. Well, at midnight, when it timestamped, that's a zero. And he was using that as a in, as a uh, denominator. Well, that goes to infinity and the thing blows up on you, right? So my variable just happened to catch that, that it timestamped right at midnight. And so I told I called him up and said, his name was Bruce. I said, hey, Bruce, I figured out your problem. I said, your time your timestamp hits midnight sometimes. So you need to add like one millisecond there. And so he did that and it worked. And he was just like I had saved the world for him, you know. And he wrote letters to different managers at HP about what a great guy I was and you know, I had solved his problem. And and I think that was the thing is a lot of respect, a lot of customers really respected the people at HP as well. Um, even though I it was just a dumb thing on my part that I caught it, but he thought I was a hero, you know. So. As an SE in the computer side of the house, my job initially was involved with both pre-sales and support. And later on, that turned into only pre-sales. And we had a completely separate support organization and a response center for uh, customers to call with support issues. How did it work on the test and measurement side? As an SE, were you, did you have a similar structure or did you, were you sort of responsible for that, that whole gamut? Well, at first, I was responsible for both pre-sales and post-sales support and also doing consulting. So, yeah, we did all of it. We didn't do as much consulting on the TNM side as you guys did on the computer side. Um, but as I mentioned before, I did write some software to automate some testing. But a lot of the instruments were manual. I mean, even though they had a lot of technology and they had a, their own microprocessors in them, a lot of the customers would be pressing the buttons on the front panel and, and getting the results. But you could pull those across the HPIB bus or maybe RS-232, whatever happened, and get the information into a computer. Uh, later on, I, I went into sales in 1990. And then later on, um, 
even on the test and measurement side, they came up with a call center out in Colorado that handled a lot more of the pre-sales and post-sales uh, support things. So the SE role kind of diminished out in the field for the test and measurement guys after that happened. How did you find the transition from being an SE to moving into sales? You know, I never, as an SE, I never really thought that I would ever be a sales guy. <laughs> But Mike Anderson and, and a guy named Tom Schmidt kind of talked me into doing it. And they said, hey, you know, you're, they said you're a personal person. And um, the opening was at Honeywell. And I, a lot of my customers that I dealt with as an SE were at Honeywell. So they said, you'd be dealing with the same people, just in a little bit different role. And so I decided to, to make the, you know, make the move. And, and I enjoyed it. I, I didn't ever really regret it. Uh, the one thing about being an SE is you weren't really always setting your own schedule. You were kind of at the mercy of whatever came up. You know, when I got married and started having kids, that was a little bit of an issue because I was traveling a lot. And so in the sales thing, calling on one local customer, uh, my travel was pretty much done. And that helped me a lot in my personal life. So there were good things and, and negative things about both roles, but I, I enjoyed both of them immensely. I, I always had a good time doing both jobs. And of course, eventually, um, HP spun off Agilent. Do you remember hearing about that, for the, you know, for the first time? And what was that? What was that whole process like for you? Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was a little scary. Uh, I remember hearing about it, and I think that the original announcement came in nineteen nine, early ninety nine, and we weren't certain what was going to happen. Um, would there be layoffs? Would there be, you know, would we have to start working at home? Who knows what? And um, I knew that the the people were going to be relatively the same people. So that was a comforting aspect of it. And then we moved, ended up moving down to Egan uh, from the uh, Larpenter office. And that was kind of like leaving home for the first time, you know, going off. I was in the Air Force. Um, some people left to go off to college, whatever. But you kind of, you were leaving a comfort zone and going into something that you didn't really know. So there was a little apprehension there. But again, with the same, almost the same people working in the same type of roles, it didn't take long to, to get acclimated to it, and it, it turned out to be an okay thing after in the end. It's been really fun to catch up with you, Joel. Just give us a little bit of an update on what you're up to personally these days. Yeah, so I'm getting ready to retire. The end of September will be my retirement date, and my wife and I uh, bought a new house. Up, uh, we moved from Shoreview up to East Bethel, so we got out into the country a little bit. So we've got two and a half acres, and and I've got a, an ATV I can ride around in now, and we're got woods and, and swamp near us. So the deer come up and everything. And uh, so we're, we're feeling very blessed. We've got three, get, three grandchildren now and all of our kids are local except one. And she's out in, in the Seattle area soon to move to Hawaii. Uh, we're going out to visit them before they leave. So yeah, my wife and I, my wife retired back in December of 2019. And now that I retire, I'm going to do some more fishing and a little more relaxing. And I might try and find a part-time job. I don't know what that would be yet, but um, we'll see what happens. I really look forward to the time when we can get together with a big group again, hopefully uh, sometime this year when it's a little safer to do that, we'll, we'll be able to do that, but uh, appreciate you joining. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for listening. Larpenter Life is produced solely by me, Dave Carey. It's not affiliated or sponsored by HP in any way. I'd love to have you as a guest. I can only keep making these episodes if people are willing to give it a try. It's real easy, I promise. 
So if you can think of a few stories about those old days at HP, please send me an email at larpenderlife at gmail.com. Until next time, take care everybody.